0: Amanda here. Last season, we talked to Diane Leonard about Scrum and its usefulness in the workplace. You too can learn how to best use this productivity tool in your nonprofit. Check out the upcoming virtual Licensed Scrum Product Owner for Nonprofits course offered by Agile and Nonprofits. The course starts on November 2nd, 2020. In just five mornings from the comfort of your own desk, with the support of the DH Learner Consulting Team, you'll become a licensed Scrum Product Owner. Visit agileandnonprofits.com to learn more.
1: Well, hello there. I am Kimberly Hayes, day Muga. And I'm
0: Amanda Day. And you are listening to Season 3 of the Fundraising Heyday Podcast. <laughs> We are a dynamic duo bringing you insight and knowledge into the ever-evolving world of grants, development, and fundraising. That's right. It's also a real possibility that we'll break into song, la la la. talk about pie, mm-hmm. or refer to you, dear listeners, as y'all. Y'all. Maybe even all y'all. Mm-hmm. Um, we, <laughs> we hope all y'all will subscribe to the Fundraising Heyday podcast.
1: Got that right. This podcast is brought to you by our Season 3 sponsor, D.H. Leonard Consulting and Grant Writing Services. Hey, don't let grants stress you out. Their team can help you with grant readiness and training, grant research, grant writing, and grant mock review. Did you know that with every Fundraising Heyday episode, we create a coordinating blog post on their website, dhleonardconsulting.com check it out today
0: so in today's episode we're delving into the wonderful world of fundraising things like fundraising galas fun runs and even big ticket grants draw a lot more attention than some quieter mainstays in the development sphere is it the grammar and controlled chaos of special events and giant check presentations is that what you love who knows But today's guest does know what it takes to keep your nonprofit funded sustainably. And that includes the unsung hero of monthly giving.
1: That is so true. We're here today with Pamela Grove via the magic of Zencaster. It's a cloud-based recording portal. I'm sorry we can't, all meet in person, but as of the date of this recording, we are still practicing social distancing to be safe. Well, welcome
2: Pamela. Well, oh, gee, thank you for having me here today. We
0: love it. And uh, really? before we get started with our interview, I want to take a moment for our listeners to learn a little more about you. So, Pamela has raised hundreds of millions through her consultancy, her weekly Go Report e newsletter, over 40,000 subscribers, and her online basics and more trainings on direct mail fundraising, digital fundraising, board fundraising. Monthly giving fundraising, major gift fundraising, and so much more. Pam's overriding goal is to provide results focused fundraising training to small nonprofit organizations at prices that they can afford. Pamela has been named one of the 50 most influential fundraisers by Civil Society magazine, and in 2016, she was named one of the top 25 fundraising experts by the Michael Chapman Giving Show. Her blog, PamelaGrow.com, was named one of the 25 Must Read Nonprofit IT Blogs 2016. And she recently came in at number two on the top 75 fundraising websites and blogs for fundraisers. That's a so, lot of um, stuff. Actually,
1: you know, I'd like to <laughs> apologize to our listeners because we keep bringing such slackers here to talk to. People, I know. <laughs> people who haven't accomplished anything. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I just, you know, that sounds a little too a little too braggy. I probably need to rewrite that. Whoa, whoa, the one the one really cracked me up though. The one of the top IT blogs because I just don't think of myself that way.
1: Well, but others do. But others do. Oh, I guess.
2: So. I guess so. but,
1: but seriously, though, we obviously you are not a slacker. We are pleased as punch that you could join us today, and we're just honored to have you on the podcast. So I would just love to, if you're okay, I would love to jump into the questions. Will that work for sure, you?
2: Sure, I would. I would love it. Thanks so much. You guys are awesome.
1: Great. Well, so as Amanda said just a few minutes ago, in so many different ways, most people when they think about fundraising development, bringing in revenue for their nonprofits, are really shocked to find out that grants usually aren't the main way most nonprofits are funded, and also that Super Gala fundraisers are not usually the mainstay of uh, nonprofits. So what is the best way you found to sort of gently burst that bubble and explain the huge role that individual giving just people giving by themselves plays in helping nonprofits serve their community.
2: Oh, if this was visual I'd show mm. you my big charts,
1: but <laughs> <laughs> the best
2: way the, the way that I find it's best to explain it to people is is just simply sharing the annual giving USA report which sure. pretty much shows where where the funding comes from. Where where does the money come from? And as much as we love our foundations, it's and it did take a jump last year Mm to 18%. 18%. Corporations are only five,
1: Mm -hmm. and
2: individual giving comes out to almost 80%. And I think it's nine percent of that comes in via bequests. Sure. And I don't know, I don't know if you guys know that I started out actually focusing on grants because Mm -hmm. I had come from the foundation side and I kind of thought that that was how organizations really got the bulk of their funding was through grant funding right um and and my main focus when I started as a development director was was building that grant funding I had a because of because of the time the time factor. I was usually working, my kids were young back then, and I was usually working about 20 hours a week. I would work more on building a core base of general operating support from smaller foundations. So we're talking grants of anywhere from 1,000 to five, ten thousand, mm-hmm. and and building a real core of that kind of, um, because they're easier to manage
1: mm-hmm.
2: time-wise. Um and Philadelphia is, is, frankly, it's very rich in foundation funding, so you could do that. I realize, I realize every every region's different. You can't always do that, right? But I think that what we're going through right now, you know, worldwide and nationally, it really points to the need to grow your individual donor base.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And you, you know, a lot of foundations have really stepped up to the plate they're they're amazing but like like we chatted about a little bit earlier they they were most foundations were set up to be tax shelters and we can't always count on them to do what's right and there's also i have heard i don't know if you've heard this yet but i've heard of a couple couple organizations that were actually asked to give back their grants yes
0: unfortunately we have heard that too
2: yeah, and it's and I remember in 2008 because I worked for for a very regional foundation. Um regional in scope, very large in assets. And because one of our um, our vice president of programming was a family member and she was real into the arts and culture, we funded a lot of arts and culture. Mm-hmm. Um and in 2008, when, when the economy tanked, a lot of these smaller organizations, they lost their funding because obviously, you know, it was going more to more essential. Sure. Um, it's just... Um, I always say that once you really master the systems of growing your individual giving and you understand the concept of donor lifetime value, you can start measuring your efforts better. That's true. and Yeah. <laughs>
1: Also, I wanted to hop in right quick and let people know that Pamela's talking about the. It's an annual giving report put out by Giving USA in cooperation with the um, Lilly School of Philanthropy at uh, Indiana University, and it's something that's updated. A new report goes out every June, and we'll put. Um, We'll put a link on, in the show notes to um, help you find that if you want to find that. They're great charts, as Pamela's talking about, and 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 diagrams and things. Some of which you can download for free, some of which you pay for. But it can go a long way, particularly in board presentations mm-hmm. where where people are used to looking and and respond to to um, those kinds of things. And it's an eye opener. I use it when I'm teaching people about grants. I always take a few minutes to talk about what grants are not. And they're not the mainstay and they're not there for a lot of, uh, not always there for general operating funding. Um, Pamela gave some good examples about how sometimes you can find that when you have a lot of family foundations around, but in more rural areas, that's may not be an option. Hmm. So, um, but, but helping people understand that even if they don't have a lot of family foundations or community foundations nearby, they do probably have people who care about what they're doing and the communities they serve. So, there are just lots of ways to get that information across, but that's Giving USA. So, just wanted to put in a plug for them.
0: Well, I'd say that our monthly donors are definitely unsung heroes. And I'm going to go on a limb here because I think you agree, Pamela. Um, <laughs> would you give our listeners kind of a thumbnail sketch of the basics of monthly giving and maybe a few tips on how to get a program like that up and running for a nonprofit?
2: Well, mainly you need to have the capability to offer, you know, either credit card payments or or EFT, which is through your bank. Mm -hmm. There are are some organizations. I know that we had one of our students, they they offered their monthly giving program solely through direct mail and a sign-up form that was provided by the bank. You know, the thing is looking... Looking for a platform that accepts recurring donations, basically, the beauty of EFT or either of Amanda Kimberly or either of you planet Fitness members?
0: No
1: no, but I know where one is located near me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a big fan of walking, so <laughs> I'm- but no. I totally, but, but I have, I have been members of many a gym, including um, the Atlanta Barbell Club. So yeah, they had a monthly, it was like a monthly transfer, bank transfer. Yeah.
2: Exactly. And they do that because, yeah, the, you know, credit cards get hacked, they expire. Mm-hmm. If you can, um, I actually have a really good um, shoot. A really good example on my blog, I'll have to send you the link of, of sure. kind of how to phrase it because it's a little more complicated for your donors.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: But then you also need kind of like a, think about a product to offer your donors. So what is your, what is your 10 or 20 or $30 a month? What is it buy?
1: What Yeah. What is it getting? What is the, what
0: is the benefit? Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah, more than Just hey give to us because we're great. It's no, your money's going to mm-hmm. be put to great use and here's how.
2: And if you can really itemize it like that, like Feeding America, they say a dollar, every dollar of your monthly gift is going to help provide $9 worth of food mm-hmm. to our food banks.
0: Oh, nice. Um,
2: you say that it's easier. You, you want to say it's easier for, for you, but it's also easier for them. Oh, sure. Um, I guess it must be UNICEF. They let their donors know that $15 a month, 50 cents a day, can provide 12 packets of high-energy biscuits. Specially developed for malnourished children. Get really specific and get really creative if you can. Mm-hmm. And and number three, you need a you need a donor base. I always tell people to start by targeting the donors who've already demonstrated a commitment to your organization. Either they they have a history of loyal giving. They've given every year for the last five years, the last ten years, mm-hmm. or more than one gift in the last fiscal year.
1: Mm-hmm. What um, about? What about people, maybe who are um, who are volunteers? Um, maybe your organization has a lot of volunteers that contribute to that effort. Would that is be- such
2: a good point. We always forget to ask our volunteers. A lot of organizations forget to ask their volunteers. They kind of think, but they're already doing so much for us, right? But they're committed. They're so committed. The thing, the thing with monthly giving, I think, is that's the most important. Once you get it started is to really, really work it and to make it a part of your, your yearly communications plan. Like in, in simple development systems, usually my people are doing anywhere from three to five monthly giving asks a year. Mm -hmm. Um, it can be, it can be a direct mail ask. It can be, it can be, um, you know, a series of emails, an email campaign. Um, what was the other thing I was just thinking of? You know, you can test all kinds of stuff. Like like, I've had organizations that will test a monthly giving ask and a welcome pack. Sure. You send the thank you letter and then maybe two, three weeks later, you send a welcome pack and it's got an invitation to join the monthly giving program.
1: Nice. It makes me think, Pamela, it makes me think of um, public radio and public television. Yeah. I'll say exe- public radio for sure in Atlanta. Um, they really, over the last two years, were all about monthly I mean, at $5 a month, $10 a month and on up. And it I think they saw some t- really tremendous growth in their um, revenue because of that, because they were emphasizing, you know, it's a small commitment every month. I think they did have, they had credit card and bank transfer, but they now, it's a part of everything they they do. And it's their focus. Um, they encourage people to give at whatever level they can, but it's monthly, monthly, monthly. And I, so I'm a monthly donor now just because for many different reasons, but it's also like, yeah, yeah. $7 and 50 cents I'm in, you know, <laughs> and it yeah. gave, it, it's like an easy start and then it builds up. And then over time, I've increased my monthly donation, but it's, I think it's, um, I just think it's a great way to keep people involved too. And um, I was, I was curious, we're, we're going on a tangent now. I was curious, mm-hmm. um, are there, do you also for monthly donors at at a non-membership kind of nonprofit, like not a museum, but maybe right. a monthly donor for a, a boys and girls club or, or something like that. Do you, um, that is not, um, NPR or radio or TV or anything like that, where you would audit, you assume you're getting some swag. Would you say for <laughs> monthly givers and to other organizations, should there be special, um, newsletters or content or, or opportunities, um, to do you, do have you found that that's maybe in human service organizations, is that, uh, a best practice or a standard behavior for monthly? Uh, that's,
2: that's a great question because the thing that I found a lot of times with smaller organizations is that when you join the monthly giving,
1: mm-hmm.
2: you kind of fall into a black hole.
1: Right. You, they're, they're like, okay, we're good.
2: Yeah. <laughs> you, don't, you don't hear from them again. And, um, yeah. and these folks have made a very, very special, very special commitment. Mm. And, and so how do you thank them regularly? Well, you, you don't want to send them a thank you letter every month. No um, and they like, wouldn't want
1: that either probably no, they, I mean you that's know, a lot yeah that's a lot of weight that's a lot of paper that's a lot of yeah trends.
2: ways that the ways that you can show that you appreciate them is, is when you have your regular uh, donor newsletter that you send out two three four eight times a year mm-hmm. segment your monthlies out send them a very special letter maybe even some a couple of handwritten notes mm-hmm. just make them feel like the committed people they are, the committed donors they are. And, and also don't forget to ask again. So to you ask to, them in your appeals.
1: So to ask, if you do have monthly donors, then it's okay to ask them to think about increasing their monthly donation or
2: increasing their monthly donation. Or if you have a spring appeal, you, okay. you, know, you, you include them in it, but you, you actually, you, you're going to write a separate letter to them. Sure. You're going to acknowledge their, their loyalty. Mm-hmm. This is a huge thing in our sector I think is the the loyalty factor.
1: Mhm. I think um, right it's now it's probably a lot it's it's a lot easier to um make sure that the donors you have feel super connected and want to keep supporting the community yeah. you serve than trying to get new donors, right? Like in times of economic distress, oh, downturns, yeah. yeah.
2: Oh yeah. Oh, and we're still on the tip, so I did want to put in a plug <laughs> for two of my favorite books. Well, uh-huh. one, one I haven't read yet, but I know it's going to be one of my favorite books. <laughs> so that's, that's an endorsement.
1: Well, <laughs> that's like psychic book review. I love it.
2: <laughs> Erica Wosdorff has a book called Sleeping Giant. Oh, that I've, is,
1: I've read that. It, or is, it new, is it a new ver- – is it a new – is it a – she had one. I think it was an e-version that I read a couple of years ago, but this sounds like a newer, improved Um, version.
2: No, I think it's the same book that's been out for four or five years now. And and definitely, definitely sign up to get Erica's newsletter if you're really, really focused on growing your monthly giving program because that's all she talks about, and she's very good at it. And also Harvey McKinnon, he has a brand new book coming out. Mm Mm-hmm. How to create lifelong donors through monthly giving, and I'm sure you've heard of Harvey. Mm-hmm. I did my, I started my first monthly giving program way back in the, uh, probably in 2001 or two, using Har- Harvey's original book.
1: Wow, On monthly giving.
2: What was the name of that one?
1: I'd have to look it up. My mind is like a sieve these days.
2: Hidden gold.
1: There you go. That's what it was. Hidden goals. Right. Yeah. Now. now, so we've talked about tips and resources. Now, I'd love to hear your your lovely, gentle, and persuasive arguments that you <laughs> might make, um, because uh, many nonprofits, I think, again, it could be it's it could be an education opportunity, but they are more reluctant to take on extra giving campaigns, whether it's monthly or individual um, during. Uh, crises and economic downturns, of which we have experienced many, um, they may say things like, why bother? We we don't want to cannibalize our givers by starting monthly giving, and it's too hard to track. Um, if there are development directors and executive directors out there sort of battling with their boards over things like this, what advice would you give them about how to counteract some of these arguments?
2: Well, that's, that's a good question. I I, I will say this, I'd rather have, you know, I mentioned earlier about how I always set up my grants program. Mm-hmm. I, would, I would rather have 4,000 monthly donors giving $25 a month than $100,000 foundation grant. And it's because of that reporting. Mm. If, I, you are, if you are, you have to keep in mind too that, that I, I work with and write for primarily the, the one person shop.
1: Sure, sure. So,
2: you know, you're doing it all. But if you set it up right, right from the start, it's way, way easier to manage. And organizations that already have pretty strong individual giving programs, you really won't have a problem. And I I think, too, in terms of cannibalizing other giving. Mm Mm-hmm. I really think that, you know, that scarcity thinking mindset and right. that's where your head is at. You need to work on your head <laughs> before you work on your monthly giving program. This is what my coach tells me all the time. He says, you know, right now you need to be working on your head. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so so it is, it's like there is there is money out there. I'm actually... I would love to have the $100,000 grant and all the monthly yes. donors. So um, if you we were doing improv work, I would be saying yes and.
0: <laughs> all the things.
1: Monthly donors, yes and foundations. But um, I'm just – I was just – I've always um, – I want to listen to what people's concerns are and what they say. And sometimes I just – I don't understand that concern. But I think you you really hit it there when it's like thats that sort of thinking – um, that there's not enough to go around, that they'll just stop giving. And, and if we ask them to give more, they'll, they'll leave us alone and never talk to us again. So yeah, that's an interesting, that scarcity mentality. I think it's very powerful, but, um, it's I think it's kind powerful. of, a, it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy maybe. Right.
2: Well, you, we, I think we all saw it just now.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I, I, I have worked with, I just coached a gal a couple weeks ago. Um, She has she's been in her job maybe a year.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: She's done amazing things in terms of their fundraising because she has a boss who says, "Whatever you say, dear."
1: Oh, lovely, (laughs) lovely.
2: (laughs) So she just goes ahead and she does what has to be done. Mm -hmm. Good for her. Yeah, but when COVID nineteen hit. Her boss said, "No, absolutely not. We're not fundraising right now. We're not going to do it." She she had a spring campaign ar- already planned, and um, so we talked. I coached her through a letter. I helped her with a letter. She took the letter to her boss, and her boss loved it. And it's going out. Um, it's going out on Monday. So, and Why? I know that she'll, I know that she'll really. She'll really rock it. But people want to give now more than ever. They're looking for ways to give.
1: It's true. And I, I want to also say to people listening, you're probably listening to this in September, but we're recording this in May. When um, And we, while we can't predict what is going to be happening in the months to come... This I think this is a great conversation, really um, encapsulating all the uncertainty. And some of that uncertainty, as Pamela said, makes people. Some people stand to meet it, like the the client you just described, and then some people say, "No, no, no, we don't want to bother. There's too much going on." And and sometimes those are just the agencies that don't make it.
0: Sad but true. Mm. Yeah, you
2: you're never you're never begging. You're always offering an opportunity. Exactly.
0: A really special
2: opportunity.
0: Yeah. Well, Pamela, from following you on social media and in your blog posts and your fabulous Motivate Mondays, um, I've learned that you donate to or you're on the mailing list for all kinds of nonprofits. So I'm curious which ones come to mind as either very innovative with their monthly donor campaigns or very successful or maybe both, maybe. (laughs) you have some favorite nonprofits you'd like to highlight? Well, one of my favorites is actually um,
2: the Intervale Center in Vermont. And they were one of my early students, and they've kind of implemented everything across the board and done it really well. But in terms of a couple of organizations that come to mind immediately about how they market their monthly giving, um, Charity Water, And Sandy Hook Promise do a great job in terms of digital. I do feel like they're missing two huge pieces of the puzzle, which is pretty much the stewardship aspect that we talked about, as well as multi-channel. To my knowledge, neither one of them do any kind of direct mail.
1: Oh, so would they, are they also, I think Charity Water, they do, they are very, very strong in monthly giving.
2: They are huge in monthly giving. Well, they kind of, uh, my understanding was they reached a point where they were always doing great fundraising wise, but they didn't have a very good retention rate. Ah. So they went after, uh, started going after more monthly giving.
1: And it seems to have paid off because they're, they're going strong. I guess I want to step back and say they're going strong, but more importantly, getting clean water to to people who don't have access to it at close by is actually the, Mm -hmm. the, the end benefit. I always, I don't want to lose sight of that. They're actually able to do more, do more good. So I, I know we've, we've talked a lot about different kinds of monthly giving. We've gotten some examples. We've gotten some great resources. Uh, Amanda and I tried to come up with um, with uh, really good questions, but is there something we missed? Is there something that people need to know about monthly giving that we just didn't know we didn't know
2: to ask? Well, you know, Kimberly, we actually covered it a little bit earlier, but I would, I would really want to stress this again, is that the most important thing is stewardship. Mm-hmm. And the longer I'm in this field, the more I think that stewardship is just really critical in everything we do. I know, maybe, maybe I haven't, did I ever tell you the story about when I worked at the foundation?
1: I haven't heard the story, I think think we're all ready for story time. Let me get my blankie. Okay. (laughs) it.
2: Well, I think I had been there. We'd been, I'd been there maybe two or three years and I remember the vice president of programming, she came out of her office and she said, well, look at this. And it was a letter from an organization, a fairly new organization in in Philly Mm -hmm. that had sent in a proposal that we had declined funding. And they wrote us a letter and they said, well, even though you, you know, you declined us, we want to thank you for the time, the effort you put into reviewing our proposal. And honest to gosh, she felt heard. She you said, no, I don't think people realize how much effort we do put into this, into doing a thorough review. And, sure. and of course you can, you can bet that they were funded the following year when they came back.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yep.
2: But I think stewardship is so critical and oftentimes it's really the most neglected piece in fundraising. I, another story. I mean, I remember, I remember running my very first individual giving um, campaign. This was back in two thousand one, right? Mm-hmm. And I remember getting that first check in, and I said, "Oh, crap! I forgot to write a thank you letter. Now I have to write a thank you letter." No. <laughs> You don't have to write a thank you letter. You get to write a thank you letter. That's true. Mm-hmm. So be, before you even start your monthly giving program, I want you to really think about what you're going to have in place and how you're going to make those donors feel and how you can communicate really throughout the year. And the other thing I would really, really, really like to stress, can you can you I, see it?
1: I think you want to stress something, Pamela. What is it?
2: No matter how your monthly donor came in, if they came in from an email campaign and they gave online, send them a thank you letter in the mail.
1: Okay. And that would oh, probably yeah. go doubly for monthly donors as well. Obviously, you don't want to send something every month. It just says, thanks no. for giving. But that 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 uh, mail correspondence, I pay attention to my mail. I don't know about you, Amanda, but yeah.
0: Oh, it's exciting to get something in the mail <laughs> that's not a bill or trash <laughs> or right now political campaign ads, right? Oh, so. yeah. Uh huh. Well, and I'll tell you, I know um, a, a good friend of mine told me the story several years ago. She had uh, started up an organization, and a friend of hers um, did a, a donation to help get things off the ground. And she's like, You know, when you're just starting out a new organization, you're spread so thin. And she was like, And it was from a friend. And I know I had verbally thanked him, but I just overlooked sending that thank you letter, you know, and making a big deal out of it like I should have, because hello, they invested in this startup. Um and next year when it was time, of course I go back to my friend and ask if he would be willing to give again. And he said, you know, you never other than that initial thank you, he's like, you sent me nothing. So no, I've I've got plenty oh. of other places. And of course as she's telling me this, I'm like, oh my gosh, your friend doesn't he realize? And she's like, you know what? He taught me a better lesson than anybody else who gave me money. And she goes, you can bet I never forget. I don't care if you give me 50 cents or $50,000. You are going to get a letter from my organization. And I'm not going to forget that. And so um, that was a hard lesson to learn because you've missed out on future funding. But it certainly, I, I think you're right, Pamela. I think stewardship is so vital. It is. It's just really, really critical.
2: And yeah, that, that would be that would be my main point is, and also to work it. Like I said earlier, you you really have to work it. It's not just an option. It's not just a, an option on your website or an option on your, on your form. You want to work it and make a specific effort towards monthly giving every year. (laughs) Awesome.
0: Agreed. Well, Pamela, thanks so much for walking us through monthly giving and why nonprofits should make it a point to add it to their fundraising plans. Um, I know you offer all sorts of online courses and other educational offerings. So you want to share about anything you've got coming up and maybe the best way for people to reach you and get a hold of your resources?
2: Well, sure. I hope it was helpful, Amanda. Um,
0: You can always find
2: me at PamelaGrow.com at basicsandmorefundraising.com. And then there's my book, Simple Development Systems, Successful Fundraising for the One-Person Shop. Oh, boy. That's under (laughs) there. And we also have a comprehensive class on monthly giving. So if you wanted to check that out, you could go to basicsandmorefundraising.com forward slash classes. And... As a special gift, I did put together a coupon for you guys, for your people. How lovely.
1: We love coupons.
2: (laughs) Yes. So if you use the the coupon code HEYDAYSAVE, all caps, you'll get 30% off any class, including mastering monthly giving.
0: And we'll remind our listeners that here at HEYDAY, we're (laughs) H-A-Y-D-A-Y. So... Oh, oh, that's thank great. You.
1: Thanks so much. I, I oh, feel you're like welcome. you're, and I, um, if you, if you haven't had a chance to, um, subscribe and get on, um, Pamela's blog, uh, and get those updates when it comes out, you just write the most soothing messages. It's like having someone just come in and go, here's a cup of tea. And you're talking sure. about, Hey, you may be feeling this or feeling that. And you're thoughtful, posts have really just I think they've helped soothe many a furrowed brow when things get tough so I encourage people to check that out and it was a real pleasure having you here today thank you so much
2: oh thank you thank you Amanda thank you Kimberly this was right. awesome yeah we'll be back on motivate Monday uh, we, 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 we love, love motivate back. Monday
0: <laughs> <laughs> good stuff
1: Remember, there is no specific college degree in grant writing or fundraising, but there are a lot of good people with experience to share, training programs, and other ways to learn. And we would love for this podcast to be part of your professional development lineup. Don't forget to subscribe to Fundraising Heyday on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify.
0: Thank you again to our Season 3 sponsor, D.H. Leonard Consulting and Grant Writing Services. We appreciate their support in making grants less stressful. Visit their website, dhleonardconsulting.com, to learn more. Stay tuned for upcoming episodes this season, including our next one, where we're going to take a deep dive into researching and crafting a needs assessment. It's a key component to making your grants the best they can be. Bye for now. Ciao.